Welcome back to Holder Talk Podcast. And in today's episode, we talk to Holder Health Systems CEO, Dr. Mike Canaday. Dr. Canaday talks about his uh, drive for the culture commitment, his career here at Holzer, and everything that you can do to increase your company's culture. Hi, Dr. Canaday. Hi, how are you guys? We're good. How are you? I'm good today. Good. good. We're excited to have you here. Yes. So we're, right. we're talking culture. Talking culture. Yes. Okay. We series. like to talk culture. We do. It's yeah. called Cultivating Culture. So we've got you know a series of episodes all about it and who better to interview than you? <laughs> yep, we've been talking about culture for almost seven years. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about your Holzer story? Like, you know, where you started, how you kind of like worked your way up, you know? Oh, sure. I mean, I can go all the way back to 1979 when I started as a nurse's aide in a small county hospital, but we won't go back that far. I started at Holzer <laughs> in 95 as a staff general surgeon. I joined the clinic at that time. We were two separate organizations, a for-profit doctor-owned clinic, and um, functioned in that role for about 10 years, did general surgery, built a practice, raised kids, all that stuff. And then in the late 2000s, we started talking about a merger. And I had, after 10 years of department head, I'd maintained some hospital uh, staff positions, but not really any management positions. I'd take a little break and um, came back after the merger and uh, submitted my uh, application to be the medical director of surgery in the new system and got that. And then a couple of years later, had the opportunity to apply f to be the chief medical officer due to a change, and I uh, got that, and then did that for about two years before we had some major changes in leadership and got the opportunity to be the CEO for the last almost seven years now. So that's the story of how I got to this job. There's a lot more details, but <laughs> that's the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, awesome. Really cool. It's the only place I've ever worked. I served in the Navy as a payback for medical school in the early 90s, and it's the only home I know as far as uh, a place to, to call a work home. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, this is a good place to be for sure. We, yep. Yeah, we hear that you would like to say that you have the best job ever. And <laughs> Sarah and I told Troy we'd probably argue with him because we think we have the best job. Well, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good job, you know. Uh, sure. Luke Combs has got a new job about, a new song about, uh, you know, getting to go into work every Monday to do something he loves to do and... You know, I've been fortunate. I love doing surgery. I really felt like I had a great career. Hope I helped more people than I hurt. You never, <laughs> never know for sure. But um, And then, you know, I've had a second career as an administrator as well. So Yeah, absolutely. So good. Absolutely. All right. So from here, do you want to briefly discuss, like, the beginning stages of, like, your Holzer Energy and the culture commitment? Sure. To, to really make sense of it, though, we have to go back to the time of the merger and even a little bit before that because what we did – the cultures of Holzer Clinic, and I don't want to go back and beat up history. History is what it is. But to really understand where we've come with the culture initiative over the last few years, you have to understand where we came from. And the clinic and the hospital, although they both said Holzer, were two very, very different organizations run by two very different management structures. And it, uh, it took about 12, 14 years of actually – for all intents and purposes, being at war with each other, although our patients didn't realize it for the most part because it was all behind-the-scenes kinds of stuff. But, you know, patients would say, I'm going to Holzer. They didn't know they were going to Holzer Clinic, going to Holzer Hospital, 
wherever it was all holzer to them. So ultimately, we were able to make it one uh, merged system in 2012. And that came, uh, all mergers like that come at a little bit of a cost. There were some political fallouts. There were, you know, people that didn't fit well in the new uh, new world. And, and I'm not quite sure. I, it took a lot of work to get the merger done, and I'm not sure that we actually really considered the impact on the cultures until after we were were merged. Now, we did go, and we we tried to purchase culture initiatives on the open market. You can do that. There are numerous organizations that will come in and tell you how you should do your culture. <laughs> None of those ever work for us because our culture is unique. All cultures are unique, but we're rural, geographically sort of isolated, not as much anymore as we were. And all those culture initiatives have great ideas. They sound great, but they weren't us. And and we got into trouble after the first two and a half years uh, post-merger, 2014-15. We had a turnaround. We had some financial difficulties, uh, and uh, we had to kind of dig out of those holes. So the first two years, from, and I would talk from about 2000, late 2016 into today, um, 2016, when the current leadership structure was put in place for all intents and purposes, I'm CEO and Dr. Stout came in as, as the chief medical officer. And we spent about two years kind of scratching and clawing. We didn't talk a whole lot about culture. Troy Miller and I talked mm-hmm. a lot about culture, but we were putting people in, you know, r- really challenging situations. We weren't able to to put raises in place. We were, you know, asking people to bear with us till we got the finances straightened out. It took us about two or three years to really do that. And at that point, we started talking about a culture initiative, something that would unify the culture of Holzer. I'm not sure, you know, they talk a lot in the literature about change culture, change management for culture and that sort of thing. I'm not 100% sure that you can ever truly change the culture. You embrace the good cultures that you have, and then you try and get all of the others as close as possible. And so we talked about that, and we realized we tried to buy it twice and it didn't work. We needed to do an internal um, uh, process. And so what we came up with, and it, there were some interesting discussions around this, but essentially we put all our vice presidents and directors in a room for two days, and the seven, eight members of us on the senior team were there for the meetings, and we didn't really say very much other than interact socially for those two days. And we gave them a pretty simple charge. It was, tell us who Holzer is now. Um, Tell us who you think we should be. Are we living our mission, vision, and values? Are we doing the things we're supposed to be doing? And if we are, great. If we're not, what should we be doing better? And interestingly enough, out of that, and by the way, we told them before we went in, your uh, words are gospel because we're going to take them. We're not going to modify them very much. We might make them look prettier, but we're going to take your ideas and we're going to turn them into the culture initiative. So they knew going in. Now, we didn't, I don't even know if we knew we were calling it the Holzer Culture Commitment at that point, but we knew that we were letting, uh, we were trusting our vice presidents and directors to give us some direction. And the thought process there is they're not on the front lines, but they're not as far from it as we are. They're not at the top of the the management structure, but they're close enough to see the big picture. So who better to really tell us about 
the culture that's here, the cultures that are here, because we didn't have just one, we had many, mm-hmm. um, and, and what we should be doing with it. And interestingly enough, out of that two days, we come up, came up with the Holzer Culture Commitment. And all of the things that they came up with on culture and the, the fit very neat, neatly into our current values, which is Q first, quality, friendliness, integrity, respect, service, and teamwork. And so we were able to rally that. And from that point on, it's a matter of selling it, right? Mm-hmm. We know that this is who we are. They've told us, yeah, we, it sounds right. It looks right. Uh, let's sell it to the board. So we sold it to the board. We had a big culture commitment signing ceremony, took pictures on the front steps. This is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent a lot of time and effort. And we were training on it at this point. Uh, education team, you guys put together several different modules. I think we got about halfway through before COVID hit, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, we st- we stagnated a little bit during COVID till you could reboot it into a virtual environment. We probably lost some steam there, some momentum, but I think we picked it back up again when we got to the, you know, last six, eight months to a year coming out of the pandemic, being able to get back on track with some of those things. So um, that's the nuts and bolts of the Holzer culture commitment from a historical perspective. Yeah. What questions you got on that? <laughs> I mean, I this think... isn't a monologue now. This is a conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I mean, you you covered. I was glancing, you know, at my list here, and like you as you were talking, like I was like, oh, that kind of covers that and that. Um, so, what you you kind of mentioned that like you embrace the good cultures and then try to make the other cultures kind of match, you know, those best cultures. So like how would you go about like motivating people to buy in or like, you know, some you know, different places? Cuz I do, I mean, and and Mr. Miller, you know, he touched on that during his interview as well, like how the culture's not going to be the same everywhere cuz everybody has, you know, different um, ways of doing things and different job responsibilities. So, like, what do, what's your thoughts on that? So the mental image I have for the way that this – and looking back, it looks like some of this stuff was planned, and, and it wasn't really planned. I mean, yeah. we were just really uh, turning over every rock we could find to help us build better relationships throughout the system. Uh, we put in place – so the first couple of years, 16, 17, early 18 – we were really doing things on, th- I, th- I think it is three different tracks. We had the board track. We were rebuilding relationships at the board level between the board and senior team. At the, the uh, senior executive level, uh, what we refer to as senior leadership team, all the executive vice presidents and myself and uh, Mr. Saunders as the board chair, we were rebuilding relationships in those. And I can talk to you a little bit about some of the things we did in each one of those groups. And then the third group was the group we just talked about, which was the I think of middle management, vice presidents and directors through the system. Um, we were working on doing some things there through a combination of LDS, which is leadership development series. We do quarterly, the monthly managers meetings, small pieces of information, some specific processes we put in place. One of the things we did, we call it Larry King Live. And usually once a month, I started this thing. I learned the technique from Kevin O'Connor, who's a certified public speaker. Um, in a course I was taking, and uh, I find somebody that would not be mind wouldn't mind being interviewed in front of the uh, the management team. It's 150 people, and we sit down to have a conversation. I ask some questions. Uh, the audience gets to ask some questions, and then the audience gets to tell them what they liked, learned, or appreciated from the interview or otherwise. And it helps 150 people get to know one person much much better. 
So there's a little relationship building there. If you know somebody, you know a little bit about them, you're not as likely to discount them right out of the hat. So mm-hmm. that helps. Um, we were doing some things on the senior team. We did a thing, I call it pairing up. And over the course of a month, two executives would spend a half an hour together just talking, maybe having coffee or lunch. And they had two questions they had to answer. One was, know something about the other individual when you're done that you didn't know before. And then find out something about what they do and how what you do, you might be able to help them do their job better. So it started conversations, building the relationships in there. And we even took that to the board level between the boards. and the. So all along those first couple of years, we're doing many things. There's other things I could talk about, too, that we're doing to try and rebuild relationships within those. And I, I, in my mind, I see it as a flowing thing from left to right and three pathways that are coalescing together in about 2018 to form the Holzer culture commitment process that right. we went through. So, but to do the things and influence people and get them to, you know, think about culture, you first have to kind of prepare the playing field. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any relationships developed, if people are, and this is where we were in 2000 and 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 even, uh, there wasn't a lot of trust throughout the organization. You know, there was you know, much siloed behavior going on and people taking care of their own little worlds but not really thinking much of the big picture of who Holzer is and how good we could be if we all worked together. So it took that part in the 18, 19, 20s when we're working on the culture commitment nuts and bolts. We go into the pandemic, we come out and here we are. Yeah, right. And I mean, I feel like like lots of things, like if you look at research and data, you know, like having that lack of trust is like the number one reason for failing teams. And I imagine like big picture that would, you know, result in the organization as well. So like, I think you guys as leadership have done like an excellent job at building that trust. And I know our last LDS, we had a lot of really positive feedback and people were taking things from our culture training saying, well, I'm above the line or I need to stay above the line. So like, you know, they're using that and that's staying with them, which I just think speaks volumes is that we do have people that are buying in and those leaders, you know, that have bought in. So they're taking that back to their own individual teams and, you know, allowing their own teams to buy in as well. So, yeah, we have a very unique mission statement that friendly visits, excellent care, every patient, every time that is you know, usually you'll find mission statements for healthcare systems to provide for the health and well-being of their communities or to improve the well-being of the communities they serve. Something, you know, ours is pretty simple. It you know, we're, we're a friendly organization. We want to take care of people. We want to do it as well as we possibly can every single time they see us, and we want to, you know, be their go-to. You know, Think Holzer First campaign is an out outreach of the uh, culture commitment. Yeah. We want people to know that if they come to us, and we offer to do it, it's going to be done as well as anywhere. And if we don't do it, we try to be honest about that and get them care. We develop relationships with other places that do those other things, like the Cleveland Clinic for Cancer Care, mm-hmm. our Center for Cancer Care. That's uh, our cancer connection. We have nationwide children. So we have lots of different tertiary care relationships, not so much of some affiliation, some partnership, some you know loose um, handshake deals, but... We want to get our patients the care they need, and sometimes we can't do that. We we can't do everything in rural America. Right. Right. So switching topics a little bit to your career as CEO, Mm -hmm. what is um, one thing when you took on the position that you had a goal to achieve that you got to see through? Uh, Right now, what I – it changes, Mm -hmm. okay? You make little – you get some little successes – 
But I think the the thing that, you know, I'm retiring at the end of this year. You know, I've got nine months left. And one of the things that I, I don't – people have asked me about legacies. I, don't, I, I really don't care. I hope people think I was a good guy. I care about people, and I did the best job I could do. Sure. That's, that's as good as it gets. But my job as an administrator is was to put a new mindset into the culture here. And the mindset I put in place from the – almost day one was most people know what they're doing when they're supposed to do when they come to work. Nobody comes to work to do a bad job with rare exception. Most people come in in the morning with the intention of being at the top of their game all day long and they get punched in the nose when they walk through the door. Right. They don't mean to be that way. So we, we've got to redevelop that trust. And so, um, this is, when I was in the Navy, the Navy has change of command. Commanding officers come every three or four years. They change over. That's what they do. Never know who you're going to get uh, until they're there for a while, if they're good guys, bad guys, micromanagers, let right. you do your job, whatever. We had a new guy that came in, and he'd been there for about six weeks. Hadn't said a whole lot. Seemed friendly. Called all the management team together, kind of like we do. And he walked in, and we didn't know what he was getting ready to say. You never know. And uh, he kind of looked around, smiled, and said, well, I've been here about six weeks. Looks like you guys pretty much know what you're supposed to do. Proceed until apprehended. And (laughs) it struck me. It stuck with me. It's been my management philosophy for my entire career. And so when the management team in place right now took over, essentially the same group that's there now that was there in 16, I called them all together and I said, look, I know for a fact I don't know what I need to do to do this job. I just got it. Um, I'll learn everything I can. I'm pretty sure from being here since 1995 that all of you guys know what you're supposed to do to do your job. Proceed until apprehended. So I reuse <laughs> it again. And then you have to explain it because most people will think about it as, oh, you mean it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Like, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> if you're asking for uh, forgiveness instead of permission, you knew up front you were probably doing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. Proceeding to apprehend it means you know what you're supposed to do on the front lines. You can waste the time that it takes to get permission to do the right thing, or you can just do the right thing. And we'll accept some mistakes if you're working in that mindset. So we did that, we did that early on, and I think that helped us kind of turn around a little bit and, you know, get people. And we were, we were scratching there. We were $5 million in the hole after three months. We had bondholders breathing down our necks. We weren't sure where the money was and why it wasn't. We, we had a lot of problems there, and it mm-hmm. took a while to get it sorted out. But I, I know all, I've, I've been here for my whole career. I knew all those people, mm-hmm. and I knew that there was a lot of micromanagement going on that didn't need to happen, and if I could take that away, we could really start to move in the right direction, and it seemed to work. And I've seen it work. You, this Back to your question, which was, <laughs> you know, what are you successes? Yeah. The success I saw was at the last LDS that we put together, your team, the education team and Gail put together around some new ways of thinking with improv training for business and some, you know, culture discussions in the midst of that. And for you know, whatever time we started, 8, 830 in the morning until we were done that afternoon, I didn't see any waiver in the level of engagement across the room. Mm-hmm. People were all people were talking. People that don't usually talk were talking that day. Chairs were moving in closer so people could engage in good body language, and no phones were out. To me, having a team that five years ago would have been head down in the Apple prayer mode as as often as possible <laughs> that's a success. Absolutely, it was one of the best LDSs I think I've seen 
as far as interaction and engagement. Oh, for sure. Um, and I know as a facilitator in one of those groups, it was <clears throat> amazing because like you said, there were people that are kind of introverted. Mm-hmm. You know, after that first exercise, that icebreaker, they were in it for the day. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they, they bought into everything that we were trying to convey. Yeah, they really enjoyed that. And all of their positive feedback too. Sure. Like that was a huge win mm-hmm. as well. Like, I mean, they even said like, we want more of Holzer. Like, we want more of our own to do this. So I always, like, I just think that's always nice to well, hear. And interesting, seven years ago, kicking and screaming, we dragged people down this pathway, and uh-huh. now they're asking for more. Yeah. So that's a success, right? It is, for sure. Absolutely, Absolutely. for sure. So earlier you mentioned on Q first our core values mm-hmm. and stuff. Do you have a value that resonates most with you? Well, <clears throat> my core values are trust, respect, transparency, and lifelong learning. So, if you look at those and you overlay them, then obviously quality, friendliness, integrity, respect, service, and teamwork, those don't appear, right? Trust, respect, transparency, and lifelong learning. Respect is one of them. Right. So, they're similar, you know, and and maybe sometimes I feel a little guilty of pushing my lifelong learning on the crowd, but... We needed to get into a better mode with that anyway. Hey, listen, I'm a teacher, so, like, (laughs) you're preaching in my heart right now. (laughs) So if there's any legacy that I would want left is, like, I care deeply about educating our own people, growing our own talent, because I saw the results of trying to recruit from the outside, and it didn't work very well. Um, Well, and we're a talent-filled organization. We really do have employees that are multi talented in not only healthcare, but their soft skills and, and things like that, that we can learn from for sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah. So they overlap. Um, but I'm not sure that any individual's core values should necessarily mirror the organization's core values. The organization, I mean, think of it as a, a living organism because it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been healthy. We've been sick. Um, we're we're healthier now than we've been in a while. And uh, you know, we've we've come out of the other side. And I think the pandemic showed us in a number of different ways. You know, you point to the the. I don't know, every time I bring her up, I say I'm never going to do it again. But Sherry Keebler in the lab. <laughs> uh, you know what a an amazing thing they did during the pandemic to mm-hmm. allow us to to test our own COVID patients. Basically, from the from the start of the pandemic onward. Now I know, I know she was putting things together and and begging and borrowing and getting stuff, but we got it done. Yeah. And there weren't any other systems our size anywhere that were doing that. Right. It really gave us a, a leg up. And you know, being on some of the committees during the pandemic at the state level and the hospital association and some different things, uh, people were struggling with things that we took for granted, mm-hmm. just because we were able to to you know we've got a rural small town family oriented um place we live in yeah absolutely so we just have a couple more questions so the one of the last questions is under our new leadership you know you said you have nine months left what are your hopes for holzer going forward well that's a good question (laughs) um my goal with succession planning has always been that from the outside uh, nobody sees that there's a difference, right? Now, Dr. Stout and I are very different people. 
We're very good friends, and we've had a really good relationship. Uh, I, we came in about the same time. He's an endocrinologist. I'm a general surgeon. He sent me thyroid patients. I took care of them, sent them back. We had a great working relationship during our clinical years. That translated into, in fact, the first time we, we both applied to be the chief medical officer at the same time in 2012, 13, the first time it became available. Neither of us got it, and, uh, and neither of us held it against each other. I mean, it, it was what it was, and we both continued down our pathways until we met again in the fall of 16 when I needed a chief medical officer, and he was the best guy I could think of. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, performed flawlessly. He's he's a better chief medical officer than I ever was. <laughs> he uh, he has gotten a master's in medical management from Carnegie. He's a certified physician executive. Um, he'll do a great job. But what I uh, have to be careful here. I get a little emotional if I'm not careful. Um, the uh, definition of success for me is not what happens while I'm here. It's what happens after I leave. Because if I've not created a situation that can go to the next level, then that's my fault. But I think we're there. I think he has uh, his own management style. It's going to be different. Uh, change is good. And, uh, again, I think uh, it's organizations that hang – it's not that I maybe don't have a few more good ideas, okay? <laughs> but it is time for other people's ideas to come to the top and, you know, take us to a different level. So I think we've got a great leadership team in place. I have no reason to suspect it's going to be challenging. And my goodness, there are challenges every single day with healthcare finance, particularly the revenue cycle is really, really hard with all the third-party payers that we have, Medicare, Medicaid, commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trying to get paid, doing more work than we've ever done. We're seeing more patients than we've ever seen. All of our statistics on the billing and revenue side look great, and we're struggling on the finance side. That's that's a, It's going to go on in some shape, form, or fashion uh, as long as we provide health care in, in the environment that we do. But I have every confidence that we have the exact right team in place. It's time for change, and and some new directions, and I think we're going to see that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how great Holzer can be after I leave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Like, I feel like I've, like, just getting to sit down and talk with you, I feel like I've learned so much that, like, you hear third party or, you know, like, we know about the Holzer culture commitment, but, like, coming from you, like, I, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed this. I'm so glad that you agreed to come and talk to us. And Well, I'm glad, Kate, you look – you. you <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when you you look back and you think, wow, we could put this in a format that looks like we really planned it all. But <laughs> we were just grasping at, at everything we could to try and engage people, build relationships. And, you know, fortunately, I, I believe in process. Okay, mm-hmm. the results follow the process. And we had to put processes in place that facilitated good relationships between people, between departments throughout the organization, and everybody understanding that they have a role. And if everybody does what they're supposed to do to the best of their ability, things go really well. Mm-hmm. And it's hard sometimes to know where th- there are gray zones and there there are boundaries that, you know, need to be respected and things like that. But for the most part, you know, our mission, vision, values, and think holes are first philosophies should take us to places 
if we live them, mm-hmm. that are unimaginable at this point. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So that's really all of the questions yeah. we have. I liked at the end, I always like to ask, is there anything that we didn't ask you uh-huh. that you would that like you to share? you should have asked? Yes. Well, there's lots of questions <laughs> you could have asked. Uh, I don't know about should have asked. Um, no, I don't think so. I think okay. we're talking culture commitment today. Now we can yeah. come back on other subjects. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. talk about lots of other stuff. But, yeah. you know, if if the culture is bad, you you might be able to be successful for a while. Holzer's been here for way over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been – it's had its ebbs and flows, ups and downs uh, as – Holzer is thought of, and many different people think of it. Holzer as many different things. Uh, I, I'm hoping that it's, uh, you know, twice as uh, as uh, as good a place to be in 100 years as it is right now. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank All you. Right. Have a great Thanks. Day. You too. Thanks for listening. This has been a Holzer Talk production. We are your co-hosts, Sarah Smith and Sarah Lowry. For more information on services provided by Holzer, please visit www.holzer.org. Or, if you're interested in any of our training opportunities, visit hlii.org.